0: edition of the Unicorns podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. G'day and welcome to another edition of the Unicorns podcast, a break today from some of the startups we've been featuring lately. Today, we're heading across the country to Western Australia for a feature interview with Greg Durack, the managing director of emerging iron ore producer Juno Minerals. It's on the ASX with the code JNO. A lot of territory to cover, including final approvals, investment decisions, Gina Reinhardt, and Green Steel. Greg Durak, welcome to the program.
1: Oh, thanks very much, Justin. i um, looking forward to the uh, conversation today.
0: Okay, so Greg, before we get into the nitty-gritty, I'm keen to know more about your professional background and how long you've been in the mining industry for.
1: Uh, I've been in the mining industry for about 40 years now, so I've been around the traps for a while. You've been
0: around the block?
1: <laughs> sure have. How'd you get started? I always liked the gold industry, and so I did a degree in chemistry, but Effectively, after graduating, effectively worked as a metallurgist straight out into the West Australian gold fields. I really enjoyed that. Um, worked myself way up over the years, mill superintendent, um, and then into mine general management roles. Worked over in Papua New Guinea for three and a half years on the Octedy mine when that started up, on the gold and then. Um, the copper circuit came in.
0: That would have been an eye opener.
1: Uh, yeah, it sure was. It was, uh, yeah, it was FIFO then, but it was four months on, one week off. So I don't think you'll get anybody doing that these days. But wow. That was what it was like. I've, so. been,
0: I've heard a fly in, fly out. That doesn't sound like you were flying out a lot.
1: No, sure wasn't. No, I was a live on site in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. So yeah, it was hard work, but, um, you know, spent nearly four years up there. It was really uh, fulfilling at the end of the day. Came back and worked in Queensland for four years, running a small little gold tailings retreatment program in Charters Towers, cleaned up all the tailings dumps around town.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: then I sort of effectively worked for Normandy Mining, POS Gold at the time, Normandy, for about 12 years in uh, mine management roles, Big Bell, got that happening again, uh, gold mine. Um, then I ran the Kel Towers operation, the tailings retreatment, eight million tonnes per annum in Kalgoorlie, closed that operation down and then I spent um, working on the Huffo Gold Project in Ghana with Normandy and then I got sent as in-country general manager for um, Perima Gold Project in Greece for Normandy. So I spent four years in Greece, northern Greece. So
0: so you've you've literally lived and worked all over the world? Well, two international postings, yeah, during
1: my Mm. career, yeah. And then um, I came back from Greece in 2004 and been involved in a number of junior companies since then, um, Tavia Mining, Thor Mining, a few non-executive director roles. Uh-huh. Spent um, five, last five years, previous five years with uh, Pilgrim Minerals, got on board Pilbara Pilgrim Minerals in 2015 and study manager there, looked after all the metallurgy and process design for that project, the Pilgrim Gura. Um, lithium tantalum project so that was uh, i think i aged 10 years in five <laughs> working on that project <laughs> that was hard work but um
0: yeah, sounds like it
1: and it was successful at the end of the day um and the last uh, well i used to work for jupiter mines previously and and these two iron projects in the central Yulgan region i was the ceo of jupiter mines back from 2007 to 2013 and uh that's where I did a lot of work on these two projects. We spent yep. over fifty million dollars in the Central Yalgan project, and my old boss at the time gave me a call about two years ago and asked whether I'd be interested in, uh, you know, helping do the IPO for a spin out of the West Australian Iron assets out of Jupiter into a new company, Juno Minerals, um, mm. and that was a species yeah. distribution. So here I am.
0: Juno was born. Yes. Yeah,
1: Juno was born, um, and it's been very exciting. So these two projects, uh, Mount Mason DSO project and the Mount Ida magnotype project, is unfinished business for me. Mm. I bet. We spent over $50 million in Jupiter's days, so I'm very determined and focused, um, firstly, to get our Mount Mason project um into production our DSA project, so production rate we're looking at one to one point three million tonnes per annum on that project, and that that is our immediate focus.
0: Well, let's let's get into the details on that one. What is happening at Mount Mason, and how soon before you expect to make a final investment decision?
1: Yeah, so Mount Mason is that uh, we had to go and get all the uh, project approvals. Um, and that's what we've been working hard on since uh, we listed in May last year. Um, so that project, we now have all the environmental approvals, um, final ones arriving in uh, early April of this year. Okay. That's uh, good and that, that, yep. Yeah. And that also includes our Yundaga rail signing site, uh, um, five kilometres south of the town of Menzies. So, you know, there'd be a 110 kilometre road hall and then rail down to the, Port of Esperance, so and and we went out to tender on all the major contracts. So it'll be a contracting strategy to execute this this project. Uh, we went out of the mining and the crushing, the road constructions, you know, the camp expansion, and uh, all the other necessary infrastructure that we've got to do to execute the project. So we've got some real um, good numbers to go in that are in the uh, financial model, um, but we're about to go out and. Uh, uh, retender those contracts because the market has moved on to shore up mm. our financial model. So the the two. So in regards to the infrastructure front, so we have to get our iron ore out to market, and the route is is going to be down the rail, down to the port of Esperance and out through the port of Esperance. Mm. And um, we're just working with uh, Arc Infrastructure for rail access at the moment and also looking at uh, getting capacity. Is that likely? Uh, yeah, that's head, all heading in the right direction. And also um, capacity out through the Port of Esperance. So they need to work on a few things there, but um, all I can say really at this point in time is uh, it's all heading in the right direction for that Terrific. aspect. So once um, we lock those down um, and you know, the iron oil price is okay, well then we'll look at uh, making a financial investment decision on executing that uh, project.
0: And do you think that'll be this year? I'm very confident of that uh, being this year, yeah. I know it's very interesting to note that Gina Reinhardt, the billionaire mining heiress, took a 30% stake in a magnetite project in the Yilgarn, close to where Juno Minerals Mount Ida magnetite project sits. So what um, significance did you place... On that news, Greg? Very
1: huge, actually. It's, mm. um, it's uh, absolutely fantastic for the Yulegarn region and for um, Hancock Prospecting to get into that region. So the Mount Bevan project is that uh, they're, um, they're now conducting a pre-feasibility study on it. Um, yeah, it, it all bodes well for the, um, the Yulegarn region. So a major has taken a belief um, in the region. Uh, um, and, and it's just, you know, it's really good to see.
0: Because that Mount Bevan project is is not as advanced as your Mount Ida project, is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, that is correct. So back in the Jupiter days, we actually spent over $50 million on the um, Mount Ida type project and got took it to 70% definitive feasibility study level. Um, the Mount Bevan project is that... Um, Hancocker and Atlas are uh, about to embark on a pre-visibility study on that project. So, they're, you know, they've uh, said that to the market and uh, that commences in the very near future. So, and that project is only, well, it's only about um, two kilometres from our, our Mason project, but probably about uh, six kilometres as a crow flies from our man- oh, magnetite projects so all along the same,
0: same range. And so how, just just for the benefit of our listeners, how far advanced is the Mount Ida project?
1: So with Mount Ida, you know, all the uh, geotechnical work's been done, all the resource drilling's been done, all the geology's been done, hydrogeology's been done. Um, to advance that project, we just will need to do some more environmental surveys that, because uh, 2016, is, um, there was new guidelines um, imposed. But really, to advance the project, we really just need to do some more metallurgical test work and mm-hmm. uh, and shore up our water supply. So Juno Minerals has a lot of um, tenure tied up for water exploration within the region. Um, so, But, you know, these projects require a fair bit of water. So um, really, we just need to sh- um, shore up our water supply and, okay. uh, and do some more uh, drilling to collect uh, metallurgical samples to do um, testing and also pilot plant work. And um, that is more along the lines. We did a lot of that work previously, but um, I do like the uh, flow sheet of FMG's Ironbridge project, which is currently in construction in the Pilbara. Um, They're due to commission in uh, March quarter next year, I believe. Um, That is a huge project, but uh, what they do is use a lot more Dry processing up front um, okay. and use a lot uh, different comminution technique, which is very power um, power efficient. So we're watching that, um, and uh, and that will deliver a lower capital capital cost intensity and operating cost intensity um, into the flow sheet. So, um, so you know, it's um, yeah. So really, what we need to do is a different metallurgical testing and uh, flow sheet design, secure up our water and um, and conduct uh, more up-to-date environmental guidelines. So we have all the tenure. Um, it's uh, it's on a granted mining lease, so it's already a granted mining lease.
0: That's sorted,
1: yep. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, with the Mount Bevan project, you know, that's still on an expiration licence, so you know, they still have to move it to get the mining lease granted once they... Um, you know, uh, you know, to advance that project further.
0: So, Greg, for those who are not familiar with the industry, can you perhaps provide a bit of iron ore one oh one on the difference between hematite and magnetite?
1: Okay, so hematite is um, yeah up at the Pilbury. You know, typically it runs you know the from lower grades around fifty seven percent and can go as high as sixty five on like on it Island, mm-hmm. but typically they're average around um, 60% and it's uh, FE203 for the uh, chemistry boffins out there.
0: Are the nerds amongst us
1: yeah. that are listening? <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, already in a high-grade form. So basically mm. just crush it up and uh, um, in some circumstances, lower grades, you've got to beneficiate it to increase the grade and then uh, chuck it on a ship. Um, so there's no real high-demanding uh, processing requirements for it. Mm. But – Magnetite is a lower grade, um, typically around thirty percent. So, and uh, for the and it's Fe three O four, so an extra oxygen, an extra iron in the uh, compound. But uh, so you have to uh, crush and grind it. And with the bagnet, our magnetites and the biffs, you have to grind down to typically around twenty five to thirty micron. Um, so that t- does take a fair bit of energy. And, right. and water, so there is a...
0: And expense.
1: And expense, so. But mm. the beauty is that um, you can produce, uh, you know, a higher-grade product around 67% iron um, with far less impurities, you know, less alumina, less of silica. And uh, in today's market, you're getting a, a premium price for that, that product. Um, and that's sort of the space where, you know, I think the whole... Um, world is moving to um, and, and, the, and and it's also a good source the uh, produces a high quality steel as mm. well yeah
0: so the majors like bhp and Rio Tinto they're producing hematite iron ore from the Pilbara their operations in wa but as is the case with all commodities supply I suppose is finite and those mines, are coming to the end of their lives so how has this changed the landscape greg of the industry
1: yeah i think um, there's still quite a fair bit of iron up in the pilbara so um don't yeah. so um, but you know obviously it's always uh, maintaining a higher grade there's always pressure on maintaining higher grades as uh, as you know the current resources get depleted so i can't um, really comment on What their grades and everything are, but um, certainly, um, you know, from an environmental aspect, you know, in the smelting process side of magnetite, you know, it is. it is a greener steel in the in the smelting process.
0: Well, I did want to talk about green steel. I mentioned that in my introduction. So, what what exactly is green steel, and, and what's the future for that?
1: Well, the uh, the future is great because um, and because you're seeing a premium price for the magnetite because you know smel- even though it costs a little bit more energy to um, produce it, uh, produce a magnetite concentrate. In the smelting process, it's a it's a lot greener because um, you need less fluxes to um, smelt it. Um, mm-hmm. So therefore, you've got less waste to dispose of. But also, our magnetite as Fe three hundred four is actually exothermic in its in the process. So when you start to produce the pellets, you need less energy to create the pellets and in the smelting process. So there's a less energy input required um so you know the environmental requirements um, are much less um, in producing um, steel out of out of magnetite and that's where its advantages advantages come in plus it's a it's a known you know it's pretty much a known um, product it'll be a consistent product uh, being supplied to the smelters um so you know where as in the um, DSO, like the hematite space, you know, there's quite a lot of different products out in, in the market and, you know, and there's uh, different um, costing mechanisms for, you know, different grade hematite products where the magnetite is your, you know, receive premium price and it's a more consistent product feeding into the smolder. So they know what they're getting every time.
0: There are a few locations around Australia that have been tipped to be the next major iron ore district. South Australia, among them. What is the potential of the Yilgarn in WA to become a major iron ore hub? I think it's um, it
1: will happen. Yeah. Yeah. With the current um, five magnetite projects in the Yilgarn, um, yeah, the Mount Ida project is the largest. So there's there's about 7.2 billion tons already in resources in the Yukon that are between the the five companies that own it and uh, well um Juno Minerals have got 25% they've got 25% of that that 7.2 billion so uh, no doubt um, in my mind is that that will become It it will happen.
0: It's on the radar. Have you got the logistical support, the infrastructure there for that to happen?
1: We have. So, as I said, uh, we're about 110 Ks from our rail siding site at Menzies at Yandaga. Um, So, when we develop our type project, is that we'd um, look to the logical thing to do is to pump the concentrate there, 110 Ks, and filter it, put a filter plant by the side of the, on our, um, on our tenure at the rail track there and then just directly loaded onto train. So there's a rail line that goes all the way down to Esperance and that would be our our, our port of preference and it does have an iron ore circuit down there. But, um, you know, for the magnetite projects to come into operation down there, you know, there will be, have to be expansions required to the current iron ore infrastructure down at the port of Esperance. But I do know a couple of other companies, a couple of the projects in the region, um, Uh, have sort of mentioned that they they may look to go out through Okergee if if that gets developed in the long term, which is probably highly likely. Um, Yeah, but um, yeah, we're focused on the existing infrastructure um, that already exists down to the Port of Esperance, albeit there will be some upgrades required um, on the rail and also at the port to affect those projects.
0: There's a lot of interest, Greg, from Chinese steelmakers in magnetite because of the certain advantages over hematite. Can you tell us a little bit about the role that magnetite can play, is playing, in helping cut global emissions?
1: Yeah, I think that's a bit about the green steel that uh, I mentioned before in, in requiring less energy to smelter, you know, less, um, less fluxes you know, so it all impacts on the supply chain. If you need, you know, you, there's energy inputs into producing those fluxes. So if you have a look at all the energy inputs required um, and, yeah, you know, and also, you know, in the recent discussions, you know, looking at hydrogen, gases as a reductant, um, you know, green hydrogen getting produced from um, some solar energy um, and those sort of things. But, you um, um, realistically, um, you know, I, the green steel thing is, you know, there's really is less energy required in the first place to produce a uh, high quality steel, um, and yeah, and of course, all that contributes to reducing global um, emissions.
0: I'm keen to get your perspective. Being in the mining industry, we had um, had a federal election not long ago. Um, is there any impact for you at all from the change from a coalition? government to a, to a Labor government, does that make things easier, harder, nothing to see here, business as usual, just carry on? Is there is there is there anything at all um, with respect to the mining industry with the change of government? No, I haven't seen anything.
1: Uh, I mean, it's early days, but um, I just think it'll be um, business as usual. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the resources industry plays a large part in the, um, Australia's uh, uh, prosperity. So... Yeah,
0: I think um, you know it'll be just be business as usual. So let's look ahead for Juno. Um, you have probably got some some shareholders listening into this. They're keen to know uh, what's next, what the future holds, um, particularly around the, the projects you've got going on. So paint us a picture, Greg, of what the next little bit looks for for Juno, particularly for those that uh, that might have some stock.
1: Yeah, for sure. So our immediate focus is to execute our Mount Mason DSO project. So we're moving forward with uh, getting access to infrastructure to enable that, and that's all heading in in the right direction. And once we get Mount Mason into production, we'll be looking at doing that preliminary work on our Mount Ida magnetite project is undertaking more drilling to do the metallurgical pipe plant test work on an alternate flow sheet, going out and exploring out for water because you do need water for these projects, and also to... um, you know get the get the project environmentally approved update our current uh, environmental um, projects as uh, the studies on Mount Ida you know Mount Ida is a large very large project it requires a lot of capital to get these projects again but you know we'd look at probably starting modestly at 5 million tons per annum and you know having a look at modular Expansion, but certainly we'll be um, looking at attracting a major partner into that project to earn in at um, project level. That is, uh, I think that's the best way for us to advance that project in the long term. So we've delivered on everything we've said we're going to do so far since listing. I intend to uh, keep moving.
0: Well, Greg, it's been great to catch up with you today. Uh, Terrific insights, and you've definitely put Juno Minerals certainly on the map for those having a look at uh, what could be the next big thing. So we will follow your progress with much interest. Greg Durack, the Managing Director of Juno Minerals, thank you for coming onto the program today and all the best in the future. Thanks very much, Justin.